Hello, this is the Plant Book Club. Hello, and welcome to the Plant Book Club. Um, my name is Ellen Earhart. Um, hello, Tegan. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Tegan, and I am one of the co-hosts of Plants and Pipettes with Yaram. Hi. Also here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Judith, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. <laughs> I'm also... Uh, well, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Sunday <laughs> evening for me. I am um, a plant scientist and one of the team members of Flora L Design together with Melissa. Hi, I'm Melissa. I work with Judith. <laughs> Excellent. And I forgot to say what I do. Um, I am a journalist and researcher and I make a podcast called Plant Crimes. So this week we, I guess this month, this month and a half, we've been reading Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake, which we acknowledge is not about plants. It's about fungi. At least so, not on the forefront, right? I mean, there's quite a lot of plant talk in there as well, but um, mm -hmm. not on the cover. Yes, yeah, true. It's kind of about the relationship between plants and fungi. Um, but yeah, a little book summary. Um, the things that I remember from this book... He starts out kind of with um, truffle hunting. I really liked that part. There were some parts about truffle hunting dogs mm -hmm. that I enjoyed a lot. <laughs> um, then it kind of transitions into the relationships between plants and fungi, how those evolved, um, how the um, how trees um, can communicate through fungi okay i'm kind of failing at this summary i'm sorry it was very interesting <laughs> was, and i definitely and i definitely read the book <laughs> <laughs> there was definitely something about drugs in there as well there was one chapter that was oh yeah that was my least favorite part honestly <laughs> the, but we'll get to that later there okay, was parts okay. about drugs <laughs> um yeah there was it was just basically about how fungi and how cool they are and there was a long part about lichens that i really liked um mm about how they evolved, um, about how oyster mushrooms can eat mosquito butts, not mosquito butts, cigarette, cigarette butts. butts. And also diapers, and which is quite disgusting. Yeah. Diapers, yeah. yeah. Used diapers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you could eat what is growing on it. Yeah. Wait, but someone had to remove the plastic for that like he specified right someone yeah. had to remove the plastic to eat it so someone had to go through manually and remove, remove the plastic for all those dirty diapers for mm -hmm. the when you change thousands of diapers anyway removing the plastics just like one more thing <laughs> but like from your child's diapers not from like random ones that are you yeah you know? I, I feel like it doesn't matter I wouldn't want to clean my burrow's diapers. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. And then the next question is: So he did. So they, they grew these mushrooms, and they did say that the the mushrooms were free from any disease or anything. Who here would eat the diaper mushrooms? I would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you would. Wait. Yes, Ellen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If you wouldn't know where they came from, probably I would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably we, maybe we did. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're fine. 
But mentally, it's a block. <laughs> yeah. like on the mushrooms that I buy, there's some sometimes some of the substrate on the mushrooms. Like you get like these little mm -hmm. black dots from the substrate that they're grown on that makes it into the box. Yeah. And sh shit. I don't want any particles of the diaper mountain like, yeah. going into the plastic box with my mushrooms when I buy them. There so. are other parts that I forgot to summarize. Wait, okay. There's also <laughs> there's also a large part that's very interesting about how, about fungi taking over the bodies of insects. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I I read another book about that actually by my friend Matt Simon, and it was it's a great book. Um, and there's another part that I thought was really interesting about the economics of the fungi distributing all their resources to the plants mm -hmm. <laughs> basically like they were basically like bankers passing out phosphorus um being like this plant can't have this I'll much phosphorus because yeah. there's a bigger plant over here so um yeah those are the parts that i remember from the book <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone for <laughs> sitting through that summary <laughs> <laughs> um I, I i was surprised how much i liked it um i i realized that like I couldn't really put it down. I mean, I had to put it down often. I have like two small kids. So like, it was hard to find the time to actually go through it. But um, I was very happy when I, whenever I did, because I think it was like overall, overall very well written. And also like in a, in a very engaging way, like it goes through like very complicated topics and like a lot of very different topics, like from the way the mycelium sort of, sort of the fungal bits grow in the ground and how they have to navigate this like underground maze of of the soil to like building blocks that we like literal like bricks we can make from mycelium and use to build houses um so quite a range but all of them i found very approachable and understandable none of it like was lost in jargon or being so close just just at the top of the surface that it's boring that you're like you've seen like one thing on tv and you have heard already the entire story that also didn't happen so it was to me like the perfect balance between like diving deep to be exciting but being approachable enough that you are never lost. Yeah, I like that as well. It had a good it had a good level to be a pleasure to read, but it had also a lot of detail. And I um, had actually opted, I have the book, but I opted for the audible version. So mm -hmm. I listened to the book and it's read by Merlin Sheldrick. So that was very nice. I spent my, oh, nice. my holidays with Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> he has a very nice voice and it's, a, it's read in a very nice, uh, flow as well. I, in, and we had it on in the car and discussed a lot about it when we were like stopping it and talking about it and, um, we got so inspired that now my husband has developed a, a game. We just played it, a board game about fungi and resources and things. Wait, he so, made a board game? Yeah, he's always <laughs> into making a board game. So we just sat wow. down and played it with the kids. So it was inspiring and definitely the the also... When I, I'm working on fungi, I'm, I'm working on mycorrhiza, but still I was... I think amazed to see that that whole range of thoughts that you can and I think the the my the the mycelium networks I never really thought so much about what mycelium was doing and how it was communicating so that was a bit like oh yeah it's this is really cool um, right. and even the parts where it talks about mycorrhiza I thought it was really well researched and it went down into the history I'm I was lacking. The, the distinction of different types of mycorrhiza when he started with it he just says mycorrhiza but there's many different ones and 
the majority of the trees of the plants grow with endomycorrhizal trees, uh, fungi, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, only few are the trees are ectomycorrhizal, which and they have different strategies of also absorbing nutrients and handling these things. And he didn't go so much into the science behind that distinction, but I still thought there was a lot of information on that subject um, that, uh, yeah, I, I really liked it, down to the end where it is uh, more about leather and new things like growing your house and growing furniture out of fungi which was more like biotechnology and even that is really cool and the whole social aspect of the radical mycology and how like citizen science basically works in 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 this so it had a a really broad range and wasn't getting boring or repetitive at any time I liked it. Can I ask, so like you're specifically sort of working on this as a plant scientist and then also like to the other plant scientists. So what I found really interesting, there was a part where he was saying, you know, as plant scientists, we're often complaining that people see the world based on animals and plants are in the background. And then he had this argument that went further, which was saying, well, actually, we sometimes think too much about plants and we should think about it from the fungal point of view. So we mentioned like there's this idea of the connection between plants and fungi and how even two plants can connect themselves via a fungi and you can get this whole like world wood, wood wide web. Um, and he, he was discussing this in, in the context of like one tree giving to another tree. And we always think, oh, the, the tree is generously giving. And he said, well, that's that's looking at from the plant's point of view. But if you look at from the fungus point of view, it's stealing from the bigger plant to give to that maybe the sick, unhealthy plant because it knows for its own good, it wants both of those trees to survive. So it doesn't really make sense if you're like taking a plant point of view. It, it makes sense if you take a fungi point of view. And I found that amazing. Like I hadn't thought of that before. And I want to like, this is, I think, one of my favorite parts in the book because I, I literally like when I went through my notes that I, I took, um, the Wood Wide Web is mentioned fairly early on, sort of in introductory bits. I was like, ah, again, this story, like we have had it in like a couple of the other books as well. And it's like a favorite in like science communication or like popular science article. It's like, oh, there's this like the internet of the trees um, and they're sharing all of this stuff. Um, I was like, okay, so now this old story. But then when the actual chapter came along, I was amazed at the way Merlin wrote about this, um, like how he clearly distinguished from like what is known and what is speculation, um, how he like the, I think my favorite uh, point that that he made was um, that we tend to anthropomorphize the way we think about this network. Like, as you said, Ellen, like with the banks or some say that it's socialism, some say it's like, um, <laughs> like the good spirit or the goodwill of the trees. Um some say it's like the mothers theory. and the daughters, <laughs> like the mother mm-hmm. trees keep their daughters alive that, that we had in the Peter Wohleben book as well, which I found very annoying in the Peter Wohleben book, like the way he, <laughs> he wrote about the trees and made it sound as if they, yeah, as if they were like conscious, caring beings that want to like take care of their offspring in a sort of like human way, which they don't. And I really like that in the book, he makes this point, like, look, we, we often, because it's so difficult to think about these things, we treat them as if they were human things but they're not and maybe we like have to find a new way of thinking about them as like not human or not animal like don't take images from the human world to describe this and limit our thinking by doing so so i really enjoyed this this part um uh and also like later i have some questions about that for you but first let's talk Mm. about like the book i'll build off what Joram was saying about that because i was really struck by that part in the book too 
um, where he talked about the different types of metaphors we use and how that shapes how we describe them. But also it came up a lot in the book about the idea of what's an individual and how we think about individuals because there's so many different interconnections between the mycelium and trees or with the lichens where you have like a fungal and an algal and um, bacteria or yeast partners or whatever else is going on in those lichens. So I found that really interesting. And there was some part where it was a talking about almost like to think about not as individuals, but as processes, that we are all just mm-hmm. like processes happening in time. And I was like, whoa, that just really <laughs> kind of blew my mind. <laughs> it was a trippy book. It was a trippy book. He also says that literally we're all lichens. Yeah, <laughs> we're all lichens. But on the whole, I really, I really enjoyed reading the book. I, I think in part because I know I studied plant biology. So a lot of the plant books I read, I, I know kind of like surface level, a lot of the neat things that plants do already, but fungi, I don't know so much. So there were so mm. many things that I had never heard of before. And I liked how there's pictures. <laughs> he has a really yeah, nice. Made yeah, made out of that cool ink. We ha- yeah. What was yeah. the ink? I the ink was from a fungi. Ink cap mushroom mm-hmm. is what it was. I can't remember the genus, but yeah, it was called ink cap mushroom that he made ink from to draw little pictures throughout the book, which were just like perfect little illustrations of what he was talking about. And then some plates in the middle to like color images that pulled out really neat examples of all, from all the different chapters. So sometimes we're always saying in these like, oh, it would have been nice to have a picture. This had like the perfect amount of yeah. little pictures. And and the truffle dog. And the truffle <laughs> dog, yeah. of course. <laughs> I have to ask you briefly, uh, because I read it as like the Kindle version as an EPUB reader. And there I had like the little drawings in the mm-hmm. text, but most images were as a sort of appendix in the end. Which made no sense to me, and I wonder, like, is this really the best choice to put the pictures? But it sounds like in like the the hardcover yeah. co- or like the actual copies, the pictures are yeah. like in the story where they belong, sort of. Yeah, the the sketches are integrated, mm. but then there's a section in the center of the book where there's sort of, I don't know, ten pages of photographs, and that has like the truffle dog, um, mm. and some also things that I guess couldn't you couldn't sketch. They're like bioluminescent fungi or showing slime mold growing in mazes on a petri dish, and this is stuff where yeah, a sketch wouldn't have worked. So I think having the actual photographs really did complement it there. Mm. And that is like glossy paper as well. That's more like photo print there. And I like that because I had the book and I had the audible version. But when you open the book, you see there's something different in the middle. So I, mm-hmm. he doesn't refer to these pictures at any point, in at least not in the audible version. But uh, then you you look them up and it's like, oh, that's actually cool. Now I can see, like, yeah, you imagine what it would look like, but you can then look it up. Well, while you're talking about the audible version, I want to ask you, I mean, from the way the book is written, it's so clear that this guy has such a huge passion for what he's writing. Could Did that come through in the voice? I'm really curious about how the audio version, like, could you just hear where he was excited or how was it? He's very calm. He's very calm <laughs> when he reads it. And you, he's not like taking off even the parts where he talks about like where he was uh, in the lab and taking 
what was it LSD yeah what he took yeah. that was uh when it comes to like the 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 way of imagining how science is done I found this was a very very interesting part it's like the study where you take researchers into a lab and you give them drugs and beforehand they needed to define a scientific problem where they need to talk about that but it was all way very quietly and calmly read because he's reading the book as mm -hmm. well um it's nine hours of of uh, audible or audio content um but you see it's read it's not that he is like telling it but uh it's very nice i i enjoy it it was very easy to listen to him uh, yeah. do you know is he british or american no, no, yeah. I, I couldn't get a British, sense. Right? I just, I think he's British. I, it sounded like British. Okay. I think. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm basing it on the fact I'm that his name is Merlin Sheldrake, and that just sounds so <laughs> British to me. I thought he was American. You thought he was American, but he I, was in so many different places as I well, interacting yeah. with all these people. So I have the sense he has strong ties to Canada now, West Coast. It seems like is but. he American. But he sounded more he English. Didn't sound He's English. No, Nationality, no. United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what it says on his bio. So his He's family British. is also a kind of famous as well, right? So his his father has this um, weird background in parapsychology, which is like a bit of a yeah. He's a pseudoscientist. Like topic it, and his <laughs> brother's says on, name. on Wikipedia, like his mm. father's claims are like debated in the scientific community. Yeah, which is interesting because he has lots of like esoteric views on sort of ecology, um, and then his son writes like a really good book on ecology. That's like <laughs> it's sort of spiritual but not esoteric. But then like, okay, but then his so his mother also has this musical influence, and his brother is a musician, and you could see like that really came through in the book, right? I mean. Mm -hmm. We were discussing before the kind of thing about the using the ink cap mushrooms to draw the pictures, but there's more meta things that happened with this book as far as the publication, right? What I what I liked as well is that he talked to the people. He mentions different scientists that he talked to. And he really this really like researching it well and getting in contact and asking what the story was. And for all the different scientists, some of them I knew, he would like also ask how they got into working with it. Sometimes it was an orchid that they had since their childhood and that kind of fascinated them. And they were still thinking about that plant when they today maybe were 50 and were, <laughs> were an established scientist. So that was nice because it had the personal touch to all these different scientists as well and made them more human than uh, just referring to the literature. Was there anything in the book where you thought, like, no way, <laughs> that can't be true? You mean diaper mushrooms? Are you, do you mean apart from eating diaper mushrooms? <laughs> apart from them. <laughs> you know what's interesting? My brother is, like, obsessed with fungi. And in his, I don't think you would mind me saying this, but in his apartment, he's been he's been growing this mushroom that eats plastic like he's been feeding it plastic mm -hmm. and there's like all these kits you can buy of mushrooms that do all these all these ridiculous things that like eat cigarette butts and like eat diapers like you can experience like they like this citizen science thing it's very real and like i've seen it in his life like he's obsessed with it you know yeah, the book talked about that, how those the roots of that field started with the magic mushroom growers wanting to, to grow psilocybin mushrooms at home. So I thought that was interesting history to get how this um, counterculture kind of evolved from the psychedelic mushrooms. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's like a very generous culture, like he said. They like they like share things with each other and so on. Apart from and one company that's also mentioned that has like the patent on the mushroom growing. Like I know some people here in the Berlin area who want to do like also DIY science stuff with um with mushrooms and they always have to tra tread so carefully around these patents because um like if they use the same method as they did, even if they came up with it, then they're violating their patent and then they're in trouble. So they want to start their own business here with like growing mushrooms, but they have to just like work around that pattern. And like, I, I did an interview with them a while ago. Um, and yeah, it's really cool what they want to do, but they are sort of hindered by this, this like large company. That's pretty much, I mean, it's also written in the book, like they sell kits to like under license, um, follow, follow sort of their technology. But yeah, but it's like, it's, it's everywhere, everywhere. And I, I've seen some of like this material in person. And it's like really, really cool. Like it's, it's this weird mixture between sometimes you have like these cellulose packaging stuff, um, that you, that you get a sort of in plastic alternative. It's similar to that, but then also, um, more, more close structure and different weight. It's like, it's, it's weird stuff, but it's like, I would like to see more of it in the world. Okay. Also, I just thought of something that's grosser than the diaper. Okay. Thing, in my opinion. Did y'all catch that the truffle had been eaten by a mouse and they were going to go serve it in a fancy restaurant? I think it like, like a mouse had built a like burrow all around it and been eating the truffle, right? And then look, they picked look, it Ellen, up. And you watched Ratatouille <laughs> and you thought it was really cute at the end when the rat was cooking in the restaurant. Be honest. It's okay <laughs> if the mouse was gently like caressing. <laughs> so what's think, grosser? The mouse truffle or the diaper? The diaper mushroom. I the diaper is the diaper. The diaper mushroom, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think the mouse was living nearby. It didn't say that he had actually, like, touched. He was, like, sort of around the truffle. That's or at what least made I could tell myself that. <laughs> also, realistically, I can't afford truffles. So, like, it's, there's absolutely no risk that I am eating the mouse thing. Whereas I imagine a future where I have to choose between eating crickets and oyster mushrooms from diapers. And I'm choosing the crickets, realistically. Like, I'm, I'm going with buns all the time. <laughs> I think, um, um, Judith, you asked like something that was sort of made you go, oh, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> as such, there was this really lovely passage about this old book, like a a guidebook about what funky you can eat. And you know, this is one of the, the problems that sometimes you eat them and you're, it's great. Sometimes you eat them and you're high for five days and sometimes you immediately die. It's, it seems like it's a little bit of a toss <laughs> of the coins, especially when like apparently we only know – six percent of the fungi of the world so like 94 percent of them we still haven't rolled the dice on whether it's going to be the one that murders you or going to be the one that makes you think you're a cat <laughs> for five days anyway um there was there was this old book that described a um a large yellow mushroom i think as delicious when fried but then as an afterthought the, the author had added in may cause a light coma in those of a weak constitution and that was <laughs> beautiful amazing <laughs> If you're weak. Yeah, it feels like it blames the person for the coma. <laughs> and it, also, like, yeah. it blames them once they've gone into the coma. You can just like, like all of us eat the mushroom and then like three of us like go into a coma and it's just like, yep, weak. <laughs> but now we know. And you know, with that saying, like there was also the part where he talked about, was it taking spores from the mushrooms and tasting them all on crackers? Oh, Do you like remember microscopic this caviar? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Microscopic cute. caviar. Like all the scientists were like, 
ex- like they were eating little spores. I of the can't mushroom. imagine doing that. That really kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I think we were so banned from, you know, associate, like in the lab, there's no food, there's no drink, there's yeah. no, you know, and that kind of made me think you get the feeling from him that he had this freedom of scientific thought that is sometimes lacking like you know this is this old school thing you see with scientists from days of yore where they were allowed to like lick all the things in the lab and that's what (laughs) gave them this this sense of excitement which then helped them become scientists later on and you could sort of feel that with him that he is the guy who's eating the fungal caviar (laughs) i i also liked um so they're talking about paul stamets who's this big fungi guy you know huge deal um he, they talked about how he was developing this the use of some fungi as a cure for bees to prevent them from getting um infected with mites and he suggests that maybe this dude had been himself infected by some sort of <laughs> semi-parasitic fungus that had gone to his brain you know we talk about this with cats the to- toxoplasmosa that once you pet a cat too many times you get the thing in your brain that makes you like cats more that makes you pet <laughs> yes. and you know the cycle continues and he suggests that maybe some some fungi had gone into this guy's brain and had given him a zeal and had then was inducing him to spread the word like spores across some um, the population and I found that really quite a cute idea yeah that was funny if you have uh, watched um fantastic fungi on on uh, netflix yeah you, you can get to know him more <laughs> it's a little bit crazy but interestingly i i watched that a few weeks ago and i thought well let's see how similar the book is to that but uh yeah the book is much less netflix and much more <laughs> science and much more in depth as well and not only about uh about about that person which i thought was uh, was good this was much more balanced and with many different people from the truffle cultivator to the radical mushroom people to scientists and uh, yeah, everybody in between. And again, going back to what Yoram said, so this is somebody who is clearly like a family friend of the author. He's had interaction with him since he was young. <laughs> and even then, he's able to acknowledge that the science of this person is disputed in the scientific community. So although he clearly yeah. enjoys this person, he still does say like, not everybody enjoys some of the aspects of, of research, right? Which is it's more balanced than most of the books we've read, right? Mm. Yeah, he was like, he's a little sus. <laughs> like, he got that vibe. <laughs> that's, what, that's what made me look into Merlin's background a bit, because there was that where he said he knew Paul Stamets from a, a long time. And I think previously with the LSD researcher as well, mm-hmm. I was just like, this this person has had an interesting upbringing. And it made <laughs> me wonder about his parents. And that's so I looked into like, yeah, his dad and was like, oh, wow. It's interesting that he that Merlin is so scientifically accurate and balanced considering kind of where <laughs> he came from but also you can see how his parents both probably you know gave him a lot of creativity and scientific um exploration as a child yeah it's really kind of a- that vibe of being able to taste things in the lab like hmm. not formal science maybe, <laughs> but like scientific uh wonder and joy yeah. and the mix of science and art comes in a lot as well mm-hmm. right i mean so not just with the drawings but also he talks about the music so this song where there's all these different women singing in a forest and mm-hmm. that joins together mm-hmm. to make one song but it's also separate parts which he you know is using as a metaphor for the fungi but then also i mean in promotion promoting 
his book and he mentions it in the epilogue of the book that he's going to uh, seed his own book with spores and grow oyster mushrooms. I don't know if you guys looked online. He did do that. He did. I have that, no yeah. doubt. <laughs> and he also made music of those mushrooms growing. So there's also like a listen to the. So I love that 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 art and science mixed together. And I think that's part of the wonder that comes through in the book. The the way he, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. really beautiful. Honestly, it's not just science. It's also mushroom ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I loved that analogy with the um, the, the singing, the, the women singing. And there was another um, example he used of like a performance artist who uh, made a hole in a paint can mm-hmm. and walked around the city dribbling a trail of paint all over the place and used that as an explanation for how uh, mycelium grow or hyphae grow at the tips. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's just like, it's such, he used really, really nice creative kind of metaphors to explain things while still being accurate I think yeah. you know sometimes mm-hmm. we get these metaphors where it's like oh but that's not really what's happening <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> yeah but I agree the the combination of art and science and and the descriptive language was just really enjoyable to read there I was- think he has a very good network of people and he's very well read in all kind of different literature to be able to compare that mm-hmm. and from all kind of cultures it was so wide in in terms of history and uh, geographical locations and everything that he talks about that I appreciated that and he's he's an interesting person because he wouldn't sound from his voice when you hear him like the person who puts himself in a lab and <laughs> gets drugged with LSD and has some, uh, yeah, imaginations there. But he's, yeah, he's a very difficult, like, uh, untangible, maybe is the word. <laughs> he, is, he is not, uh, he's, he's critical, but he doesn't criticize. He's neutral. He is... Uh, he puts things into a different light, uh, but he does that all in a very positive and friendly way, never really doing anything like, yeah, criticizing a person personally. You you mentioned just again the LSD thing. Can I can I talk about the other weird thing with the body? So yeah. chapter seven, <laughs> radical mycology, starts off with I lay naked in a mound of decomposing wood chips. <laughs> and then later on we hear, um, I'm going to read a little bit, my skin seemed to dissolve into the heat and I lost track of where my body started and stopped. A complex cuddle, blissful and unbearable in turn. Like, <laughs> so again, who's who wants to do this for science? Shall we make this our um Like our book that's club? a scene. Such yeah. a scene. But also I think our, our book club's retreat, we're going to all go and... <laughs> Very awesome. Oh, yes. That. Yeah. And again, like, like even in doing this, it's bringing in. So I, one thing I noticed was that he, he was constantly, he had such a good narrative structure that you would sort of feel a, a theme and then it would come back in a stronger, like you get these iter- iterations where he'd present something and I was like, oh, that's this kind of concept of not being an individual. And then it would come back much stronger. So even when he's doing this weird sitting in wood chips thing, which sure, okay. He comes back to this idea that he doesn't know where he ends and the wood begins. So it's again discussing this like, am I an individual? What does it mean to be an individual? Like I, I it was so impressive how these things kept coming in and out throughout the whole story. It was really lovely. Yeah, and even the parts of history he curates for us, like 
they're perfect. Like where he's like, Carl Linnaeus said, the order of fungi is still chaos, a scandal of art, no botanist knowing what is a species and what is a variety. Like that's a perfect quote. Or like mm. when he tells the story of like how Charles Darwin's granddaughter was like this super weird. <laughs> we know. Okay. It wasn't his granddaughter. It was the granddaughter's aunt, Darwin's mm-hmm. daughter. Um, by she like goes on these expeditions where she just kills stinkhorn mushrooms because she thinks they look like penises. Yeah. But she like, <laughs> right. She like goes, she like every day she goes through the woods and kills all these stinkhorn <laughs> mushrooms. And not just kills, like spears them violently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and takes and them she, to she burn. finds it by smelling them. Yeah. It's a hobby. We've looked which, at would, it. which would just disperse the spores further, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if she, she would he have says, been for someone, <laughs> for, for someone repulsed by the stinkhorns, Aunt Eddie spent more time than most seeking them out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true of so many things in life, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can all learn from Aunt Eddie. <laughs> So the parts, like I said, I, I, the LSD thing, I think it's because I read Michael Pollan's book, like How Plants Change Our Minds. Have, have you all read that? I haven't no, read I, that I don't. one, mm-hmm. but I read, he wrote an essay about how we should take um, magic mushrooms to deal with climate change anxiety or like eco-anxiety, which I do not agree with personally, because I think, <laughs> I mean, I like the context is that they take the, the magic mushrooms to deal with terminal cancer which cannot be resolved. It is terminal. Like, so it sort of helps them deal with that end of life process. I feel like taking the mushrooms for eco anxiety, we, we don't want to relax and, you know, we should like be you're saying it's premature. I'm saying like, we don't want to accept, like the point of it is you accept your fate. <laughs> we don't want that with the eco anxiety, right? I don't know how much is accepting or to be more positive and uh, solution oriented. It's interesting that he says that people who have eaten that or yeah got that uh, influence, they feel that this has been the best part of their life. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, and that is um, very. He compares it to people having had babies and everything, where where you would say that's the most important part of your life or the most memorable part of their life, and they seem just to be enjoying life, but more like. Yeah, I, f- I found this very interesting and I thought like probably there should be much more research on that. I think I feel like I'm not uh, like equipped. I haven't done any drugs. I, I can't make a comment here. This is this is what we're lacking. We need somebody who's gone and tried all these mushrooms who can be like, yeah, yeah, it's true. Like I've had four babies mm. and like done three mushroom something. <laughs> and this is the rank in the order of babies That's to mushrooms. <laughs> but did it not like make you want to try them? Like I was so ready to take LSD the moment I stopped reading that chapter. <laughs> I was like, this sounds great. Like I know like drugs are bad kids. It's like don't do drugs but um at the same time it was like like in a safe environment like i would totally sign up for that lsd study um i would like go in the woods and try to find cyclo silo say what is the name again silo bean mushrooms or whatever um psilocybin yeah um to try to find those and like i was excited about the stories like I think this was like the most spiritual part of the book because like it's so much about like changing your consciousness and like in the end, like 
to me it doesn't have that much real world impact because it's just like your brain chemistry gets all messed up but Mm -hmm. it still sounded like i i found it fascinating i think it sounded very cool i thought it was really nice how he explained the brain chemistry and he went into the medical part in that part of the book and he uh, explained how it deactivated regions of the brain instead of activating certain parts so it relaxes the brain and that was interesting to to not to go into and then he went into this aspect like why do mushrooms produce this molecule at all what is the function for the mushroom is it really targeted to influence us but the fungi were there much earlier than than us evolutionary so what's the point of having that molecule so it was all very interesting and he revealed questions where there were no clear answers to which is also nice to put into such a book so that people understand that research doesn't have all the answers to all the questions today mm. That, that was to me also like a callback to one of the other books. I think the intelligence, um, the hidden life of plants, like the intelligence Stefano book. Mancuso. That was all about like how the plants cultivated us to spread them, and they are so clever to do this. And I found mm. this sort of like callback <laughs> in this book, um, but in a sort of much saner way of yeah. being like, yeah, like, yeah, of course, like we help to spread these mushrooms, but. Um, that's probably not the evolutionary reason why these mushrooms like evolved like dozens of times to to make these compounds in places where they have no contact with humans and so on yeah and like 350 million years before humans were even a thing he's very like he's just so factual where he's like cool idea bro but he did so like i i kind of agree with yoram i did find some things quite interesting about the the mushroom and Honestly, I'm calling it. I think 2022 is going to be a big year of people doing more mushrooms. Like that's happening. I don't know if you're seeing. I'm, I'm guessing in New York you're seeing it already. Like, but like in London we're getting this kind of lion's mane being incorporated into hipster coffee shops. So these mm-hmm. mushrooms that are maybe microdosing and all of that stuff's coming in. So I think that's going to be a big thing. I agree. It's very trendy. <laughs> yeah. Very trendy right now. Yeah. But they also, I mean, so I was like slightly, I agree with you, it was kind of interesting, but at the same time he uses the, like, there's a quote from somebody where they talk about using psychedelics to dope slap people out of their story. <laughs> and like, I don't know if I want to be dope slapped. I don't know if that's the, where I want to go right now. That's fair. What did y'all think about the part where the fungi take over insects and cause them to, uh, crawl up to the highest place they can find and like disperse the spores or like uh for the cicadas like their butts fall off but they go and try and have sex with all the other cicadas to spread the spores which is horrifying uh what did y'all think of that part (laughs) i loved it i had no idea this happened it is like it's straight out of a horror movie like you you would see that in a horror movie and be like that would never happen and apparently it does and it blew my mind and it was just like wow that is crazy but super interesting (laughs) there's a really the scariest book i've ever read is uh, Mexican Gothic, which I highly, highly recommend. I just you finished read reading it before this okay, book. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, see, like, no spoilers. I didn't like... know how these two books would connect. I was just, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but highly recommends that book by Matt Simon. Wait, is that Mexican Gothic is by Matt Simon or is it a different book? Oh, no, the other one is about the insects and okay. the fungi. Yeah, Mexican Gothic is... Sylvia Moreno, someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I see it. Yeah, Moreno Garcia. It's fiction. Yeah. 
I had heard the thing about the um, like the ants and the the fungi coming out of the brain before, but even that having heard it before, like he wrote it so nicely, I was just so engrossed. And then yeah, the cicadas. Somebody, I think one of the interviewees described it as like a salt shaker of doom or something when their butt is falling off and they're like <laughs> shaking these spores out the like back of their disintegrate disintegrating arses. I it was so <laughs> such a powerful image and so just like disgusting but fascinating and they get really horny as well like it's just amazing really incredible. Yeah, it's scary. They uh, I I had an interview for my podcast with uh, Steve Axford, uh, one of the people making all these mushroom uh, time lapse videos and nice pictures also for part of the the movies that have been on our TV and he um he said they had found one of the zombie fungi coming out of a bat in a cave in mm-hmm. Asia somewhere. And it's like, oh, my gosh, that's the next thing coming out of a cave <laughs> in Asia, out of a bat. <laughs> Here we go. Because <laughs> usually it doesn't go into any animals. I mean, insects is usually where they go into. So there may be some surprises coming up in future. <laughs> Yikes. 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 <laughs> I was also really surprised by the nematode catching. I didn't realize that was such a big thing. You're saying like fungi are often just rocking up and eating these little worms that live in the soil and they have so many different ways of doing it. So some have little drops of poison on the end of the high face and it's like a little drop that the nematode eats. Others have like nooses, other ones like... like lassos. Sorry? <laughs> lassos. Lassos. I thought that was so cute. <laughs> And there's one that, like, what, it, it paralyzed, yeah, I think it was the one with the drop of poison, it paralyzes a nematode so that then it's, like, stuck and it just goes through the mouth and eats it from the inside out. And this, again, horrific. <laughs> never, yeah. never heard of that before. Amazing. Yeah, that was the part where I felt the most connection with fungi. I was like, oh, yeah, we are closer to them on, like, the tree of life than they are to plants. So right? can you explain mm-hmm. what it was about a fungi eating a worm from the inside out that made me think you go girl? <laughs> this is me, it's representing. Like. No, it's more the lassoing part, honestly. It was like they're hunting, you know? Like <laughs> they're hunting, but also farming. There was these discussions about like them yeah. farming bacteria as well, which again I had like a little mental image of a mushroom in a little hat, like I would have liked the picture for that one. I didn't really understand how that happened, honestly. Um, but they can do everything. There's there's a quote that fits there, like from the book that says, "Animals put their food uh, put food in their bodies, whereas fungi put their bodies in the food." And I think that's with the Mm. nematodes exactly what's happening. Yeah, but that's also what I teach the students (laughs) that uh, fungus releases all kind of things to digest their food on the outside before they take it up. I've I found the inverse also very interesting how the termites are farming their mushrooms, the white rot mushrooms that help them digest uh, any kind of wood. And that's interesting as well that there you don't have the mushroom that that is like uh, taking advantage of the of the termites or of the yeah, of the termites, but they have the termites that use the mushroom and cultivate it there. So that was cool. I think, Ellen, you asked before, like, what were the things that we couldn't believe? And I think these were the, the parts, like, uh, the the ecology and, like, interactions of them. Um, when, especially with, like, the insects, the mushrooms growing into the insects, like, I, I, I just can't wrap my head around what sort of, like, chemistry, uh, sort of, and I'm putting, like, air quotes here, like, primitive mushroom can sort of 
expel from its body to make to trigger this response in the insect to climb up to the highest point and then like latch onto it like it's like a multi-step process that it sort of triggers and i don't know maybe i don't understand insect chemistry enough maybe this is like one single molecule that does that and the insect is immediately like okay i'm gonna go high and i'm gonna bite um <laughs> but uh, this was the stuff where i'm just like this one of the things in biology where i can't I can't wrap my head around also like the process leading to that, like evolutionary, like, like it, guess, it couldn't just like immediately get like the entire process done. It must've done like intermediate steps. And yeah, this was the stuff that really blew my mind. And I found like fascinating. I usually like these things like zombie ants, they are in, in like pop sci articles quite popular because they, yeah, it's like, it's interesting. It's a fascinating story, but in the book, I found it even better, and it was without all of the clickbait. Like it was, <laughs> it was just like sort of just laid out the facts, and that was enough to just be like, "Oh my god, what's happening here?" And like, like one, also one of the arguments for why it happens is like the it just stops the like like how alcohol works on human, it just stops inhibiting the ants. Then there's this idea like all it's doing is preventing the ant from realizing its potential. And then there's this image in my mind that <laughs> ants just always want to be free and they like their deepest desire is to climb as high as they can, but they have this like fear of heights that stops them and then they get invented by the fungi and they're like, you know what, today's the day I'm climbing the tree. <laughs> like I can fly and then they yeah, this is the it's like this, this Lucy movie where it's like we only use ten percent of our brain and if we unlock all of it then we have superpowers but in this case the superpowers are being like eaten by a fungus what if fear wasn't a problem coming in 2023 <laughs> the ant that knew no limits and then he like climbs a blade of us and it could almost be a Disney movie but not quite <laughs> <laughs> and it turns really dark in the last 20 minutes really just like 16 plus <laughs> <laughs> Can, can I mention one other thing about the ants that I really liked? So, I am um, Judith, you just were mentioning these ants that are farming the fungus and they have these huge, very complex mounds to do it in. I really like the fact that they, he mentioned that in some West African cultures, termites, because of sort of this, how well organized and like intelligent they are in this, this way, they have a very high place in hierarchy. So, it's like, ants come even above humans as far as spiritual hierarchies and some even see them like as the messengers between humans and gods and I found this really amazing because I think insects are so low in sort of the European order of life forms we put them right at the bottom despite how important they were and I really I want to know more about this mythology that involves ants talking to gods now this is just yeah it's <laughs> fascinating honestly yeah, that was really cool. I, that was, again, one of these things that were like, wow, <laughs> not just the science, but also the culture. <laughs> it's like, I can't imagine that that's, that that's possible. But um, yeah, that, it's really cool and really old as well, these mechanisms that have been existing. And oh, the whole, the whole uh, termite story with how termites are making like – what was it? Was it the termites or was it another? I think it was the termites who were destroying money in a bank. And uh, <laughs> yeah. that was just like hilarious. It's like, oh my gosh, imagine you open the safe and you go in and, well, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> Somebody ate it. 
There was also like an old British sort of castly mansion where there was like fungal rot throughout all the floorboards and then hidden in an old unused stove was like the the fruiting body. And that just seemed so sinister, this little mushroom squatting in the darkness of the stove and then sending Mm. itself out across this entire house and just like causing decay and rot and beautiful. And then on the other hand, you can farm a house now from Mycelia. And that was cool that they were, um, this company, they are producing kits or they are trying to develop that for um, areas with natural catastrophes so that you can basically grow a shelter from mycelium there in a few weeks. So that was really interesting. So as much as they can destroy, they can also... (laughs) under our control, help to build up again. So that whole complexity was also nice, how they helped plants onto, onto land and how they facilitated things and then how they, uh, with different molecules, can control and destroy other stuff. So it, uh, it's fascinating how fungi work. They work very much together with other things. I don't know if I have the... I don't think I have the idea of plants being so much interactive of course they interact and they react to the environment and they also depend on 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 insects for pollination and so but i find that in in this book you see like fungi are much more complex in variety of mechanisms that they have because they they are not a microorganism yet they sometimes behave like that uh, and it's the whole idea to be a mycelium, to be a spore, to be a hyphae, to be a fruiting body, there's all these kind of different shapes that makes it also that they can grow in very different areas, above ground, below ground, into things, into insects. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I had a question for you about that. Like, do you, like, after reading the book, do you still believe in individuals? Um, it's sort of already like a loaded question. Like I'm, I'm questioning the concept of individuals in biology now for things that make networks. Like, of course I can say this is an individual tree, but then you have like this massive tree um, or like these, these, this population of trees that are all clones that are sometimes called one of the largest organisms in the world because they are all connected through their roots. So are they really individuals? And with like mycelium and fungi, it's even more pronounced and like very like discussed in detail in the book and yeah it made me really wonder about this like i i I myself don't really have an answer for it yet but um it's something that really made me like rethink my position on on organisms in general and specifically about like fungi i mean this is generally like something that's getting increased um like focus in the scientific community right now we have these ability to do sort of like metagenomics and look at all of the organisms like the the phylosphere like everything that lives around the leaves of the plant or um around the roots so i think like this is a huge discussion also with human health all the stuff that's living in our guts and we have more access to that in the last like only five years it's really happening um so i think yeah, the idea of the hollow biont has been around for a bit, but it's like what that means and our ability to see that and, you know, then manipulate that and sort of start tweaking things there are getting more and more important. Um, but there was like, Judith, you asked like if there was anything that sort of you thought no. One thing I thought no was when he sort of explained the the chloroplast relationship inside the plant and he sort of still tried to set that up as a little bit of a symbiosis and he's like oh it's like any other symbiosis where they can't live separately and I was like 
no, it's an organelle. Like, it's not, it's still different. I understand that like they would die apart, but it's not the same as a, an algae and a fungi living alike. And that was the one thing where I was like, I draw the line. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Melissa. That's okay. I wanted to, there's a line that I kind of circled that uh, talks about what Yoram was saying about the idea of individuals. And um, it's talking about humans. And it says, you carry around more microbes than your own cells in your body. There are more bacteria in your gut than stars in our galaxy. And I was just like, oh, what a beautiful way to describe that. Like, it's just so evocative. I just loved the way it was written. Yeah, and you can definitely say that um, this research also on how our gut microbiome may influence our behavior. And of course, if you if you are healthy and everything is fine, you're a different person than if uh, your microbiome is crap, you can't eat and your body is suffering. So um, that's interesting. So in we are we are not as yeah even looking at humans as individuals is not maybe it's the in yeah it's the individual holobiont. But I think for my perspective on on research. We are studying often one plant together with one fungus and we study signaling exchanges. How do they recognize each other? How do these two organisms communicate with each other? Sometimes they have similar hormones that both the plant and the fungus can produce or they have like ligands and receptors that match like a key to a lock. And that of course, is somehow limiting when we do these studies in the lab. You need to start somewhere. So we pick one species of a tree and one species of a fungus, and then you put them together. But that isn't all what nature looks like. So how much of that, what we find is actually true, is something that I think concerns me even more, even though I I know it's a problem, but seeing it like that, um, after having read the book and the whole complexity of mycelia also interacting with each other I didn't think that I had ever really thought so much about that um, so it's uh, yeah <laughs> it's a complexity that we reduce so much that it's a question if that's still what we really see in nature in in some ways you can be like oh well you know it's it's a lot of complexity it's it's so much it's almost like when you sort of say well biology is just applied physics like you can say well it's it's complexity, but it's there and it doesn't really matter because it's not influencing too much what we study because it is that, you know, there's like billions of bacteria on the leaf of this plant, but they're basically the same all around. It's it's fine. But I think what really shadows that for me is like how, you know, global change, how quickly humans are screwing with those relationships. And that's what makes those things have so much more importance where it's like, oh, it, it might not be fine anymore. Like now we are doing things which mean that those organisms that are all there you might be just disrupting one of them and this could be like now cascading effects and that makes me much more nervous and I know change has been happening for centuries but in the context of all the climate change and everything I sort of start thinking about those little puzzle pieces a lot more and you know if one of them goes and then it has a, <laughs> has an effect that's my eco-anxiety <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what you need the magic mushroom for I did. I did think of one more thing about the question of what, um, what you just said no to. Really early on in the book, he was talking about being in the field, um, and sort of like 
scrumming around in the dirt and he made one comment about how lab scientists usually have everything under their control and I think I laughed out loud when that happened I was like <laughs> like you know they know what to expect and they they get the outcome that they plan and I was like mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you know if he I mean I haven't looked that up but is he still doing research himself Because that was something that in the beginning you saw, you saw clearly he talks about himself and his career in science and where he was going through different parts of his research. Um, It says he is a research associate for of the Vrie, I'm probably really botching that word, Vrie University Amsterdam, works with the Society for the Protection of Underground Networks and sits on the advisory board of the Fungi Foundation. So it sounds like... I don't know, research associate sounds like he does some work mm. as a scientist still, mm. but I don't know. All right, want to get to ratings? Does anyone else have any last thoughts? Maybe we can do a short who is the book for? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, who's the book for? I think this is an excellent popular science book, like pretty general audience. Yeah, I think it's for everyone. Everyone should read it. <laughs> And learn about fungi. I would definitely also recommend it to people who need to teach about mushrooms, any kind of class at school <laughs> or whatever. I had like one last quote that I think um, summarized the book for me quite well. It's like in the epilogue and it says like, there's more pollen on my face than when I began. And um, this is to me like, there's so many new ideas now that I didn't have before reading this. Um, and I, yeah, I, I really like it. I would not know who not to recommend this book to, like from like researchers to like people who have nothing to do with science. I think all of them could find joy in this. <laughs> get so yeah, any, anyone you wouldn't recommend this to? No, I think it was great. No, I say anyone yeah. who's, I guess, like, um, like what is the word? A prude about psychedelics? Even then, I but don't think it's then, yeah. too traumatic. I, yeah. You know, I would really recommend it to anyone who thinks that they can write a scientific book just because they've done science. Just be like, read this first. And that <laughs> should, you know, because I do not think I could write as beautifully as him ever. And that's really important to know your limitations. Mm. Um, he's a really good writer mm. and a good journalist as well like you said he spoke to all these scientists and even if he has weird family connections with them <laughs> I feel like he gives them a fair shake you know mm. mm -hmm. yeah it was very very nice so many things in this book and so many levels of depths so I think yeah really for anybody who has some interest in, in nature that's a really cool book And I'll just add for information's sake, like there's, I don't know how many pages, like over a hundred pages of notes at the back. So it is very, they're not footnoted mm. within the text, but it is like, it provides you the um, links to the primary literature if you want, or like really um, explain some of the examples that it's giving in, in really deep detail. So I found that um, nice as well, because sometimes you find something that you, you want to learn more about and, but don't know how to get there. And it's really well researched and has all that information just added at the back of the book. Um, yeah. So ratings, Tegan, do you want to start? Um, yeah, I, I love, I loved it. I would give it 
five phallic-shaped mushrooms being beaten with a stick by Charles Darwin's (laughs) daughter out of five, I think. I would also give it five out of five, let's say, termitomyces. I really loved it. I enjoyed listening to it. I think I will actually read it again because I retain more when I read than when I just listen to it. But listening to it is a very pleasant way of absorbing some information and to to also get another dimension of it because you have the, the author reading it. I'll give it five truffles out of five. I just, I loved reading it as well and learned a lot and enjoyed, enjoyed lots of parts of it. Nice. I'm going to give it 4.5. Um, I just thought of a good one. Oh yeah. In like, in uh, cicadas without butts. Um <laughs> just because um I really liked it like in pretty much every way but um you know braiding sweetgrass holds a special place in my heart and if I give it a five out of five then uh then it will supersede that one (laughs) which (laughs) which leads into a special surprise Uh, hang on so Yoram's just dropped out but I can confirm that he has also given it five folks in the mycelium form out of five as well Excellent. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry we lost you. Um, But yeah, special surprise. I have gone through and ranked all of our books so far. So would y'all like like a play by play or do y'all just have questions about them that you want answered? I think I would be, I would want to not be cruel about it. So I'd ask which are our top three books so far, excluding this one, I guess, because it's going to also rank highly. Yes, our top three books are number three, Lab Girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number two, Plants That Kill. Okay. And number one, Braiding Sweetgrass. Yeah, well-deserved winner there, I would say. <laughs> yeah, let me see where Judith and Alyssa... So y'all weren't there for Braiding Sweetgrass. But I have read it and it was excellent. I would give it five out of five. <laughs> Excellent. I have it on my list to read, but because we're reading all the other books, it's like, we're <laughs> putting in more. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And then let me see. Y'all are there for Plants That Kill, of course, and you were there for Lab Girl. So perfect. Yeah. Um, I think Lab Girl had actually one, one thing that was also there is that also um, – what was her name now? Hope, Hope Jaren. Hope Jaren. Also, one of her parents, I think her mom, was a, a writer. And you could see that it's the same kind of like there's that artistic influence in the writing. And she's also writing about science in a very poetic way. And that's the same here. It's, it's a little bit less poetic in that way, but it's very, very nicely written. It's a... Uh, Definitely for learning to write and to know how to structure things and put things together is a good example as well. If somebody just wanted to read whatever popular science book and have be inspired by a ray of writing and comparing and putting in data and stories, that's a great example. What are we reading next? So next time up, we have proposed reading The Wardian Case, How a Simple Box Moved Plants and Changed the World, which came out at the end of last year. No, at the end of two years ago now. We're in 2022. It's by (laughs) Luke Keel. Um, Yeah. So I 
kind of excited about this one. It's about some really cool moments where plants sort of defined history and the power structures of the world. Excellent. I'm excited. All right. Is that a wrap? Should we say where everyone can find us? Tegan, do you want to start? Uh, so yeah, you can find me or Yoram at plantsandpipettes.com or you can find us on Twitter talking to Yoram at plantspipettes and on Instagram and Facebook you talk to me and that's at plantsandpipettes. And for us, uh, you can find us on Instagram at flora.l.design or on Facebook at floraldesignab or on our website at www.flora-l.com and also on all kind of podcast um, channels at the Flora and Friends podcast. Excellent. And um, you can find me on my Instagram at Ellen Airplant. And you can send me hot plant crime tips mm-hmm. for my podcast, Plant Crimes, which is about plant true crime. <laughs> true crime. It's a true crime podcast about plants. Uh, you can send me hot tips at plantcrimes at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, just email me. Sending out, sending out vibes of like cool emails in 2022. So uh, see you all next time. <laughs> The opening and closing music is from the album Green Ideas from Pine Vogue. You can find the music on Bandcamp where it is published under a Creative Commons license 3.0.